run. Hello and welcome back to Here's What You Could Have Run podcast, the podcast that talks to real runners one-on-one about their recent races. The podcast was recently voted one of the top 20 running podcasts in some made-up poll or other, that was maybe the top 40 but didn't even get to 40, so that shows just how quality that poll was. But as I never like to get an award much higher, I'll take that and I will proudly claim to be one of the top 20 running podcasts in the UK. And if Hoka or Nike hear this and want to sponsor the podcast, then just let me know. I'm going to start bids around 50p and a can of San Miguel. There's been a bit of a gap since the last podcast. I've been busy launching the second book. Ducking Long Way is available now, came out late August. It's a beginner's guide to ultra running, and it's definitely in the top two of the two books I've written so far. You can go on Amazon now to buy it and help Jeff Bezos buy another rocket. Or if you're in the UK and want a signed copy with a buff, then contact me on Twitter, username Monty Lamar. As part of the book promotion, I've been on the Running Is Bullshit podcast with Amy and Stuart. If you like running podcasts, and check it out. They have actual production values unlike this one, so the quality is a lot better. I've also been interviewed live on Spanish radio show. Fortunately, that was in English, as uh, my Spanish is pretty lacking. I can just about order beer and ask for fresh pool towels, and then I'm mostly reduced to just sort of pointing and gesturing, which would have made some really great radio. In the world of running, we've had some interesting events, like the Brighton Marathon that became an ultra when they marked the course out wrongly by about 600 metres. It may sound pretty minor, but if you're pushing for a good for age time, that can make all the difference. Luckily, it probably isn't an issue, as the organisers also forgot to sort the UKA classification for the event. So not only wasn't it a marathon, it wasn't technically a race, and so good phrase times may not even count, even if you did manage to get them. Also means a race won't be listed on sites like the Power of 10, which I know a lot of the sort of running anoraks are always very keen for. More worryingly, there's a few questions on whether they had insurance, as that's normally part of the UKA process. So it does look like one of the most expensive marathons in the UK it was too long, didn't count as a race and may not have even had insurance. They've been blocking people on social media that ask any sort of questions of this, even when they're very eloquently asked and not just sort of badgering. I think it's the sort of social media equivalent of sticking the fingers in your ears and going, no, no, I can't hear you, which is just what you expect from a premium race organiser. Despite all this, they've already started pre-sales for next year at the super low early bird price of £50, which is quite expensive for a marathon, possibly quite cheap for an ultra, depends how long the race is next year. You probably won't know until you start running it, so it could be hard to pace. This weekend coming is a London marathon. It was originally scheduled for April 2020, and it's now going to happen in October 21 due to the dreaded COVID. They always organise a great event, but they've slightly confused people this year by introducing a lot of COVID measures that don't seem to make sense. And they're still keeping the crappy expo. So you still have to go to a damp hall in the ship bit of London to collect a bib that they could have posted you. And what's more this year is you need to take your drop bag to the expo as there's no actual drop bags on the morning of the race. If you've not done big events before, you're more used to low key events where you leave your stuff in the car 
run to the start, do your race, and then jog back to the car for dry clothes. And you might not realise quite what a ball like this is. At London, you're going to spend probably at least an hour hanging around before the race, if not more like two or three by the time you've sorted out start pens and toilet drops, etc. And it's going to be cold and look at the weather, wet. So you're not going to be doing that in your race gear. You're going to need clothes to keep warm, maybe some waterproofs, etc. And yeah, it's stuff that you're going to be happy to throw away and never see again because you're not getting it back at the end of the race. It will be collected by charity, hopefully go to better use at the end of it, but it does seem odd that a race that's pushing so hard to be environmentally friendly and reduce plastics is likely going to lead to a lot of people going to the shops for some cheap clothes to wear once and throw away. So if you are going and you haven't got any clothes that you want to throw away, it might be time to hit the charity shops and just buy whatever fits and whatever looks warm and waterproof for the day. It does make you think that London could have made a bigger impact on their environmental footprint by just binning off the expo this year of all years and posting people with bibs out. But yeah, they love the expo and I presume it does support the financial model, but looking at the list of stands this year, it's pretty dire. So I think even a lot of the big brands haven't been bothered to turn up. So you're going to go into a damp expo hall to look at brands that you've got no interest in. I think the best trainer brand there is on and then the title sponsor is New Balance, neither of which are any interest to me. So I'll be going for a, a ninja style in and out personally. Yeah, this year I'll be running after some very mixed training for the 2020 event. I had a proper coach, which was Katie at the running hub, sports massages from Rudy at the treatment lab. And I was really intent on a focus program to finally do my absolute best at a marathon. I think got a bit sidetracked over the year with trying to get a lot of marathons in or doing ultras. So it was going to be my attempt to really see what I could do. Had a goal somewhere sort of between 3.05 and 3.15, if I couldn't quite manage to match with PB. And then 18 months later, with uh, a couple of injuries and some pretty poor training, and a few recent big events, I'm more kind of in shape for a 3.45 or maybe 3.5 if it all goes well. So it's a good lesson really in accepting training and injuries may not always go to plan. And we need to adjust our goals and just try and enjoy the race. I mean, after all, London, many people try for well, literally a decade to get in and don't manage it. So if you do get on the start line, you're lucky to be there. So most of all, just try and enjoy it. In preparation for London, I recently ran the Big Bear Events Warwickshire Ultra. This is a new 40 mile event by Paul at Big Bear, who we had on for episode nine. If you want the full write-up on the race, then you can check out the Run Like Duck blog. It's a great event with a nice out-and-back route, and at 40 miles, it's a really good sort of distance length. It's a decent step up for the marathon, so ideal for first-timers who are a little bit too intimidated by a 50-miler. But it's also a fast and flat course, so yeah, if you're in good form and want a fast ultra, you'd definitely get a good sort of fast 40 miles there. The winner did it in about four and a half hours. I was considerably slower behind him, hadn't struggled quite a bit due to lack of training. On the subject of ultras, today's guest is about to embark on a rather long journey across the desert. Lauren is mere days away from doing the Marathon de Sables. It's now in its 35th year and it's one of the most famous ultras. 
uh, competitors take on a multi-day 250 kilometer race across the Sahara Desert. So as you can imagine, it's hot, sandy and a bit lumpy. While out there, they're trying not to get eaten by camel spiders or bitten by snakes and always carrying everything on their backs because you have to have all your gear and all your food for the full seven days. The only thing provided by the organizers is water and then they put a tent up at the end of every day for you to keep in. As you can imagine, the planning and training for an event like this is a huge challenge. So let's see how Lauren's been getting on. Joining me now is Lauren, who is in the final stages of getting ready for the MDS. So thank you for coming on. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. And for anyone that doesn't know you, then just introduce yourself, how you got into running and why the MDS? Yeah, so uh, well, I'm Lauren Gregory. Um, I've been running on and off since I was in school, hated it in school. It was like the worst thing ever. Like, I swear my teacher was trying to kill me off. Um, had a break from it in my teens and then sort of late teens got back into it, mainly for fitness and sort of keeping myself in shape. Um, and then actually it was only after having my son, my first child. So he's, um, he'll be 11 next month in November. Um, it, it was only then that I sort of, it kind of started to mean a bit more to me because I quite welcomed the break from <laughs> just being pulled in all directions. Um, God love him. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was then that I kind of started to run quite a lot more and, and then started doing bigger distances. So until that point, I'd only done 10k um quite regularly but yeah 10k and then it grew from there yeah, I mean, so. a lot of people kind of stop around there so what kind of motivated you to start going longer um other than peace and quiet yeah yeah it was just more time out on my feet it was great yeah. um no well i actually got involved in a um like a fundraiser um back in i think 2015 so until that point i'd done i was at sort of half marathon stage at that point um but actually i got involved with a charity in america called i run for i don't know if you heard of it heard um, of they do, they, yeah they match runners to um sort of children and young adults who have uh, you know it could be like a severe like a learning difficulty but also quite severe health conditions mm. um and I was on the waiting list for like six months and eventually got matched with a boy called Brayden um and I got to know his his mum um, so Brayden was born with cerebral palsy um and he's pretty much 100% dependent on his mum so at the time in getting to know them I, I discovered that um she couldn't afford a like a proper wheelchair van um, so she was having to kind of lift him in and out and her back was starting to go. She was a single mum, so there was no other sort of dependent if her back went. So we decided to try and raise some money. And at that point, I was running with a really good friend of mine, um, Andy, and he sort of came to me and said, if you want, you know, it's a lot of money trying to raise, so you need to go quite big in your fundraising efforts. Um, so he was like, let's do an ultra marathon together. <laughs> I, was, I didn't even know what an ultra marathon was. Oh. I actually had to give it. I googled it and then I was like mm, no thank you uh, <laughs> I think I'll leave that one thanks Andy and actually I thought about it and I thought you know what this is the challenge that I need um and so we did race to the stones um and we raised about three and a half thousand pounds yeah, and well, then it got them towards their um their wheelchair van. and it was actually only meant to be the one-off ultra it was literally I, was, I promised my husband that I wouldn't do any more after that 
Um, but then you kind of get bitten by the bug, don't yeah. you? And, and you sort of think, oh, what else can I do? Um, and before you know it, you're doing silly desert races. <laughs> so what's been your biggest event so far? Then? Um, biggest event? So, it, well, in terms of distance, I have done 100 miles before, which was the West Country Ultra. Um, which I have to say didn't go particularly well. I picked up an injury quite early on okay. uh, and limped through it. So it took a really long time, it took me like 31 hours to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of, well, I guess sort of terrain, you know, technical terrain, that sort of thing. I did the CCC, oh, nice. um, UTMB uh, back in 2019. Um, so that was big for me because I hadn't really done sort of much mountain running before. Um, that was actually a gin-fueled ballot entry. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the best races are, aren't they? Yeah. Don't drink and enter races, kids. It's not good. <laughs> exactly. I think most people win the ballots that they probably shouldn't, I find, certainly for myself. It's, I never yeah. get into Berlin Marathon, but I did get into Grand Union and Lakeland and stuff. Really? But it's far more challenging and probably shouldn't enter, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it now, so you can't say back in yeah, so so what kind of attracted you to MDS then? Because obviously that's a big step up because it's a multi-stage race in the desert. Yeah. Um, it's weird because, I mean, I started following it. I probably heard about the, the MDS maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago. Um, probably about the same time I started seeing ultras. Uh, and I remember thinking, God, that's horrendous. Like, why would anyone ever do that? Like, that's genuinely and literally thought that was hell on earth um and then sort of through the powers of social media I, I don't even know why I ended up following them it was just kind of that weird sort of like intrigue and then year by year I sort of started to look at it and think oh, that does look quite amazing actually it looks like a great experience um and then I sort of started to learn more about the type of people who do it and realized that, you know you don't have to be an elite athlete um and then I started to learn like sort of hear about people that I knew who'd done it and I was like well I know that they're not an elite athlete I know you know they're kind of like a bog standard like mid-pack runner just like me um so it was at that point I sort of started to think this might be something I quite like to to do um and I I made an inquiry with um so Hate for Children, who I'm running for this year, but I made inquiry with them about three years ago and my web form never sort of was answered. Um, so I was like, oh, it's fine, it's written in the stars, yeah. I don't need to do it. I literally took that as like, I'm not meant to do it, I'm not meant to do it. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, that year I watched it and I was like, I absolutely, I, I now know I want to do this. And so I made inquiries again, like a year later. And um, here I am, less than 48 hours <laughs> before yeah, we fly. So were you yeah. entered for the 2021 then? And obviously didn't. 2020 yeah, yeah, it's been out last April. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and we got four weeks out of uh, race week, and COVID happened, and um, so yeah, so that was quite tough. That was a, sort of a, quite a tough pill to swallow. I mean, for, it was obviously postponed for all the right reasons, yeah. but we, you know, everyone had put in their peak training week. I was going to um, say that you were probably. Um, starting to look at your taper and resting and worrying about stuff yeah. and suddenly it's I'd so, I'd, so I'd, it was that week so the monday tuesday wednesday i think i put in something like 60 miles over three days uh we got an email on the thursday sort of mentioning covid but saying they're putting lots of extra medical um support in place and that it's you know they're doing everything they can to make sure it goes ahead and then literally within 40 hours it did a u-turn and um and I was like, oh no, I took it really badly, actually. 
I think I grieved for about a week. Well, I suppose <laughs> looking back now, it's kind of seasonal, doesn't it? But it was, everyone was a bit yeah. shocked about all the races that were going back then, weren't they? And, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I say, it was for all the right reasons yeah. and absolutely it had to be that way. But um, but yeah, it was it was quite early on in the, in the whole COVID thing as well. So yeah. it was back when people, including me, were kind of going, oh, it's just like the flu. I don't understand what the big fuss is well, about. Well, I mean, they were still saying London was going to happen, weren't they, in 20? Yeah, yeah. Well, so London, have I think... A couple of weeks lockdown, then we'll have London, we'll be back to normal and it's obviously right. still hasn't happened. Yeah. Yeah, so when did you know when you'd be running it this year? I might sort of notice they give you to try. So we got to, so last year when they postponed it, it first postponed to September last year. And I was like, there's no way it's going to happen. So I didn't even really like invest in it. I kind of went through the motions of training and they pulled yeah. the plug in again. Uh, then April this year is meant to happen again February they gave us a bit more notice this time so actually I think I put about two weeks in a training before they'd um, yeah. pulled it um, so then of course you get to the point where it's like it's almost like the boy who cried wolf like you just don't really want to believe that no. it's, <laughs> it's happening and then and so really it has actually only been in the last couple of weeks um, that you know it, it's it's actually become a reality and I sort of think you know this is actually now going to happen so let myself get excited again but I mean the amount of hoops you've had to jump through because of COVID um, and again rightly so but mm. it's um, it's been <laughs> it's been a bit of an admin nightmare I have to say. I bet I have, yeah so in terms of sort of training for this then it's I suppose you should explain it better than I do, but it's 250 kilometres over seven days. How do you train for that and what does that kind of look like? Well, so a lot of sort of back-to-back long runs. Um, I did like last year, did things like the Pilgrim Challenge, which was a really good way of of also meeting other MDSs because it kind of coincides with most people's peak training weeks. So so things like that. Um, I've done like the Centurion One Community events, tried to get some sort of long back-to-back uh, and high high volume weeks mm. in. Um, a lot of that sort of thing, um, a lot of strength work I've been doing because you've got to have your pack on your back. Obviously, it's fully self-supported. So, um, you know, I've been kind of making, sort of doing a lot to help my body be stronger, like core strength and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of like stair climbing, that sort of thing, just to kind I'm of work sure. into that. It's like the worst part of the whole thing is this stair climber with a backpack on. It's just horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then course- doing any of that running, dragging a tire. I've seen a few people do that at training for its trying no. to <laughs> <laughs> I know I haven't done that, but I can see how that would probably be you know, beneficial. But um, no, I've just been training with my pack quite a lot. I was in Spain um, the last couple of weeks in August, so actually it was that was really good because mm-hmm. I did a lot of sand. I took my pack out with me. But obviously, I couldn't take the weight with me on the plane, so I took it out and up with these like bags of rice and pasta when I was out there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, did quite a lot of beach running and then headed to found some dunes down in Tarifa, did a bit of running up and down there. So, yes, it's been interesting. I've actually quite enjoyed the, the training. It's been it's been quite sort of um, varied, you know. There's a sort of a lot of elements that comes to training. I suppose, yeah, I was going to say, because it must be hard to train for the heat, but, yeah, having that holiday certainly helped. I know it some definitely... people do sort of heat, oh, I can never say this word, acclimatisation sessions. Have you done any of them or...? 
Yeah. So he so it's a heat acclimation. I came That's to right. learn the yeah, So acclimatization is when you're actually out there in the heat oh, there and then God, I've just had a Tesco delivery arrive early. They got the anti venom delivered by Tesco's. <laughs> I've got that all packed already, yeah. Okay. And um yeah, so um yeah, so the heat acclimation, yeah, so I've been doing that over the last 10 days and I'll do it right up until we go, well, we go on Friday morning, so I'll do it tomorrow. And what does that comprise of the people that have never had to do it? Is it just sitting in your air and cupboard? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, people do all sorts of things. I mean, there are things like environmental chambers um, sort of dotted around the country at places like universities and um, sports facilities, that sort of thing, but they're quite pricey. Mm. Um and, you know, you do spend a lot of money preparing for this type of event. So I've actually gone for um, sort of more along the lines of, well, just combining like saunas. I've been doing Bikram yoga, um, which actually is really effective. And then, yeah, sauna, Bikram yoga. And then um, I'm actually really lucky because a couple of clients have got a, a new sauna installed in their garden. So I've just nice. been doing uh, sessions with them and then sticking around and hanging out in their sauna in the garden. Um, and then also my husband's actually built, so we've got a treadmill, um, my husband's actually built a hot, what I call the hot box, round the treadmill. And that's been really effective. So I can get that up to about 36 degrees. Um, and we get the dehumidifier going in there as well, sort of try and dry it out a bit in there. So yeah, I've had, you know, quite quite a few options in the end. You've just got to be quite creative, I think. Yeah, you know, no, I suppose that's good. And yeah, you've managed to get the sand training as well, which is... Is it every day on the sand? I presume it is. Yeah, so it's. I think a lot of it is on the sand, but a lot of it's also quite rocky. Okay. So it does really vary. Um, you yeah, obviously get sort of like what they call like the June day. So apparently that's day one or two, because we don't know what we're, what, what we're getting until we get out there. Um, don't know what distances we've got a rough idea, but uh, so apparently the first couple of days are normally the June day. So that, that will be very sandy. Yeah. um hard work and then um you have the jebels which are like the desert mountains so they can be quite steep and then you know you have, literally have a rope that you sort of climb up on yeah. Um, so yeah it's quite varied terrain how do you tackle that mentally because like my mate's just done the uh what is it, dragon's back so that's seven days running oh, yeah. in wales yeah. obviously it's a more or less a defined route and you know where the stop points are in advance you know each day you gotta do so many miles whereas presumably yeah. you haven't really got a clue you know roughly what the um, will be, but yeah i mean pretty much so um so when we land, apparently we're given like a little road book and that's kind of got everything that we need to know. So including sort of like routes, um, uh, you know, distances, rules and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, like I say, you don't really know until you actually start what you're going to be getting. Um, I don't know, like, like mentally, I think I'm I always going with, without any expectation. Like I'm just almost kind of going really open to what happens and I'm not trying to put any pressure on myself. Um, you know, I'm just sort of see see what happens when I'm out there. Have you got I, a kind of finished time goal or are you just looking to finish it without getting eaten alive by cameras? Um, yeah, I do. I, do. I, I, I am one of those people I do like to have goals. Mm. Um, having said that, 
I want to also really enjoy it and, and take it all in. You know, I want it to be an adventure. I don't want to be running with my head down, racing hard and not actually yeah. really. I might as well do that around here. Um, yeah, so I've got a rough idea. It's really hard to goal set, though, because you, you just don't know. Well, like we've just said, you don't know what's coming each day. So I don't know what elevation is going to be like, what the train is going to be like. Um, I know as much as when I was training out in Spain and I was seeing a lot of sand running, like it, it, you know, it does really slow you down. Mm. Um, and I was doing sort of a fairly slow pace for me and my heart rate was through the roof. Um, so, you know, based on that, it's probably going to take quite a long time. We've been told to expect about, uh, it's like, say, like a marathon, for example, take one and a half times longer than sort of like a normal road marathon. Yeah. So they're quite, quite long days. And in terms of stuff like heart rate and stuff, presumably, how are you managing to charge garments and stuff when you're out there? You're allowed a garment, or is it? Mm, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm I'm definitely in the, on the side of like if it's not a Strava, I didn't have to. <laughs> I hate myself a little bit for that. <laughs> I think everyone thinks I might my watch went flat last night in a club run, and I was very angry with myself and oh, demanding no. someone else tag me on the run. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah. So it's, it's annoying, isn't it? But um, yeah, so, you know, I wanted to record it. Um, so I've actually just recently upgraded my Garmin because my other one, the battery didn't last mm. long enough for the whole week. So all I'm taking out is one of those little power chargers, like the power banks. Yeah. Um, I think it's got about four or five chargers in it. So when it's gone, it's gone. But my, the, this watch should should be okay, I think. I'm hoping I'll only need to charge it once, if that. Um, I've got my phone with me, but I'm not going to use it. Um, I'm just having it with me just so I can take photos and listen to music. But, um, yeah, so I'm quite looking forward to just having a bit of a, you know, cutting myself off from the rest of the world. not checking social media in five minutes. No, social media, no. There's a messaging service that people can sort of message me on. um, And I can send a couple of texts to family, if if, you know, to let them know I'm still alive. But they can track me, they can see I'm all right. That's true, oh. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, medical, and you did touch on it earlier with COVID and stuff, am I right in thinking you need like an ECG and stuff to take part? And they're quite kind yeah, of correct. So yeah, we've had to have an ECG and and sort of some sort of fairly brief medical check things like um, uh, blood pressure. Um, they check it again when we're out there on admin day. Um. Yeah, so I mean that's about it actually in terms of like the medical stuff. Um, you've got to take, you know, basic first aid, venom pump, um, which I'm hoping not to use. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where do you get a venom pump from? I presume you don't get it in millets down the road. No, um, things like my race kit—they—they're a great website because they literally sort of kit you out for this sort of race. Uh, there's a couple of others out there as well but yeah um it's funny because actually when I was again when I was running in Spain we went down to Tarifa and they've got like the, the dune national park there so I took my pack one day and just kind of ran up and down the dunes and I spotted um sort of across the road so the dunes are like on the beach so obviously lots of people are there taking photos and sort of posing in their bikinis and things and I spotted the other side of the road it was like really quiet like no one was there and it was like the start of the actual national park so I thought oh, I'll kind of head over the other side of the road and just run around there a little bit literally saw so many snake tracks and I was like and we're done here yeah I think so yeah. <laughs> go to the other side of the road again <laughs> I didn't have my venom pump with me I thought I didn't fancy my chances at that point in terms of like Covid and stuff because they're going to be mixing people from all over the world 
intense with you know in a not exactly dirty but you can't really keep sterile environments in the desert can you it's not like going to right. hospital so how are they managing that do you know yeah well we've had to do uh, we've got to show a negative pcr test right so you're saying you need a negative pcr test then before yes, you go so we need to all have a negative pcr test um so I'm just waiting for mine to come back. I'm slightly on edge, actually. Not because I think I've got COVID, just because it doesn't come back, I can't fly. No, um, I mean, yeah, we went out on holiday, what, a month ago, and, yeah, you don't think you've got it, but if it's late, you don't get on the plane, so... Yeah, exactly, yeah. And this is quite new. This is actually... This has only come out in the last week with the organisers, so we were told that we went, we didn't have to do one because it's actually not a Moroccan entry requirement, but it's an organiser requirement, so the organisers have... Which is fair enough, and actually, it's, it does make you feel a bit safer. Um, yeah, so when once we're out there, we're in tents of eight of us. Um, so I mean, other than things like we've got to have a, a fresh mask for each day, um, presumably we'll be start. Well, we will be on the start line with masks on. Um, other than that, it's just a case of you know sort of maintaining social distance and just being sort of clever about it yeah. um you know they are they they will have things like sort of sanitizer we've got to take our own out as well um and they've also kind of listed sort of hot spots within the camp area um where obviously there could be a bit of crowding so just to generally avoid those areas i suppose yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the tents aren't you so it's fairly well ventilated it's not like being in a caravan with people or something yeah exactly um, and in terms of tents, then, uh, do you get to pick who you're in a tent with? Yes, actually, this you year. <laughs> yeah. So apparently you, you never used to be able to, though. From what I understand, it was a case mm. of getting on the coach and then you kind of just grab whoever's around you and those are your tent mates. So we were actually given the opportunity to kind of choose who we want this year. So um, I've got a friend who's doing another. I've sort of met a couple of people through like the expo a couple of years ago um so they've been sort of tent mates all along um out of our original eight when it was meant to be happening last year we're down to three mm -hmm. um the original so um so us three have been now been put into a, a new tent so we've only kind of got uh, got to know our new tent mates over the last week 10 days or so um so yeah, so we you know we haven't met or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to and, see. And you asked important questions like whether any of you snore or anything like that. <laughs> not yet. We're sort of not at that point yet, but it's a bit awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm packing like earplugs, um, yeah. but yeah, it is it is a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens. I was told though, because one of the things that a lot of people do, because for the first two nights, you're actually supported by the organisers in terms of like meals and that kind of thing. So you don't, you can basically have in, in camp what you want for those first couple of nights. And then come Sunday morning, it's all self-supported. So what a lot of people do is they actually take out like an inflatable mattress for the first couple of nights. So you get, hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's not a bad idea, um, yeah. And I was going to get a lilo. I was just like, well, I was get a cheapy lilo. I'm all right with that. And a couple of tent mates were like, no, because they're really that's really squeaky and really noisy. It'll keep us all awake all night. And I was like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> so I've invested. I've upgraded and gone for a proper mattress. <laughs> so on the subject of gear, then I mean, you mentioned earlier you've got to carry your stuff with you, so the gear is a big feature. Um, yeah. How kind of stringent have you been on that? Because you do hear tales of people, you know, cutting the labels off the T-shirts to say mm -hmm. half a gram, or have you gone a bit more 
Yeah. Well, exactly luxurious, but carrying a bit more in the hope of having a better experience and actually sleeping. No, I've gone pretty basic. Um, so actually, funny enough, when it was meant to happen last year, my pack was coming in close to like nine, nine and a half kilograms. Um, and in my mind, I was like, I can't see how I can cut that down. But like a year later, like I've really come to learn what you really do and don't need. And I've managed to get down to just under eight kilograms now. Um, so I have literally stripped out everything um i've got rid of a load of food that i put in because i put loads of food in like just in case i'm extra hungry one day and just in case i fancy something salty and just in case i've got something sweet i've literally just stripped it right down like i've got to take what, I'm, what i've got um yeah and you really do obsess over every gram of weight i was told this when i first entered it and i thought it was a bit much like a bit ridiculous but i have to say like you really get to the point where I mean, I, my job tonight is I will be cutting the straps on my backpack because they're, they're really long and fluffy and um, just extra down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people do. I haven't done that, but some people do cut like the, the, the handle off their toothbrush. And so, I mean, it is literally like I'm wearing the same gear all week. I've just put in a long sleeve, like a thermal top, it's quite cold at night time, um, and some like longer leggings, and that's it. I presume there's, there's nothing close to showers or anything throughout, so you, to some extent you're going to stink by the end of it with your new set of clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. I just think, you know, after a couple of days, we'll all stink, so you'll just blend in. That's it. I've been told, I've been warned about the coach journey back there because the coach journey is six hours. Like, at the end, they take us out to Wazazat. Um, so you can imagine like 200 runners who haven't showered for seven days suddenly in a confined space for six oh, hours. It's going to be lovely. <laughs> horrible. I've been told to take Tiger Bar and put it under my nose. I was going to say something like paper, but yeah, Tiger Bar will work as well. <laughs> yeah. Horrible. And then in terms of other competitors, NDF does have quite a kind of varied reputation as some who view it as you know, the ultimate race. Mm. And then the summer have said it's kind of full of undertrained British stockbrokers who don't know what they let themselves in for. But what's your kind of feel so far of the other competitors you met? Are you expecting it to be similar people to you? Or you expect the fact there will be ten um, rather than never see again? Yeah, I think I think probably we're not that well liked by the French and the Moroccans. So much so that when you look at the tent, like the camp formation, they put all the Brits on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so if any animals come in, they eat you look first. <laughs> yeah, we're the first to get all the camels. The snakes are full up before they come <laughs> Yeah, so, um, but amongst the Brits, I mean, from the ones I've got to know, it's a real mixed bag, you know. Like, a, I think, obviously, like anything, you'll kind of get your ones who are out there to compete, mm. um, like your elite runners. But I think the majority are kind of fairly mid pack and, and just out there for the experience and, and to see what's possible um, by their own standards um so yeah i think it's it's you know i mean obviously for places like like the moroccans like this is their main this is a really big event for them mm. it's all televised over there it's, it's kind of like our, our wimbledon um so uh yeah i think it's I'm, I'm really excited to see uh see them compete because actually on the long stage apparently they set the top 50 elite runners um of two hours behind the masses Mm. so actually get to see them all run by apparently that's quite an impressive sight if they yeah. don't run by if others done really well you got lost yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that yeah and if, 
what happens out there if anyone sort of either drops or fails? Are they cut off on the day or? Because you're in the middle of the desert, it's not like you can catch a taxi back to the airport. No, funny enough, we've literally just had some um, some documentation on this come through just yesterday. Because I wondered the same, actually. Um, I I thought if that happens, that you would kind of have to stay within the camp, but you obviously just kind of hang out with the like with the Berbers all day <laughs> and have to like deep decamp and, and set right. it back up. Um, but no, apparently we, within 40 hours, I'll get you out, out um, to Wazazat, where we fly from. And then you basically pay for your own hotel um, and your own way back at that point, um, which isn't ideal. So it's a good reason to try not to DNF if possible. Right. Um, but yeah, who, who knows? Yeah, so it's it comes with quite a big expense, I think, um, if you DNF. I suppose, yeah, the whole event isn't exactly cheap, is it? Because you're in the middle of the desert, just moving a village every day, so. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so you, are you presume you're all kind of packed then, ready to go? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. My backpack's all been set to go for ages. I've just been, I've had to put it down, actually, because I just get to the point where every day I kept <laughs> weighing it and then unpacking it and picking things out and repacking it and then the weight kept changing I was like god I was, I was obsessive so I've just kind of left it now so it, you know it is what it is um yeah so I've just got a little bit of packing to do tonight which will be for the hotel we get two nights in a nice hotel right at the end of the week so a bit of a you know dress and a bikini <laughs> <laughs> after a good clean probably my biggest style ever is what shoes to wear because I'm assuming my feet will be absolutely battered by then so um, yeah you'd be in the position you could really get flip-flops on but if we don't want to show anyone uh, your feet yeah. <laughs> you yeah. might get a pair of crocs they might work no there's literally <laughs> never ever a good reason to get a pair of crocs <laughs> so when do you actually fly out then and is it direct out to morocco or do you stop off in paris uh, no like? direct yeah fly gatwick to morocco friday morning Excellent. um and then we actually fly back from a different airport that we land that we fly into don't ask me how so logistically it's all relatively easy then it's get to Gatwick and 10 days get later come back with some awesome sunburn yeah that's it some battered feet sunburn and a bag of sand for the kids <laughs> <laughs> is it a medal or a buckle at the end of it or do you not know it's a medal oh. yeah and actually I met um last week I met the trustee from our charity uh, he's done it three times and um, yeah. bought his medals and I actually got to hold one I, and I, re I actually got goosebumps when I held it I was like I literally felt like I was holding like an Olympic gold medal I was like you know it was enough to kind of make me think you know you really want to get one of those medals I mean it's actually nothing special it's just like a normal race medal but it's obviously the you know it, what it's associated with um, no, yeah, I mean, I think Comrades has got a really small medal, hasn't it, Comrades Marathon? Has it? Oh, no. is, it's so special when you get one, I'm told. I've still obviously not been out there myself, but yeah, it's... Oh, really? It's more what it means, I think. Don't get a medal at the end of the CCC. I was really gutted. <laughs> I didn't the day before either. You get a T-shirt, you get a gilet. It's oh, they're, they're big on that, aren't they, in a lot of European races. So I get one for doing track yeah, and yeah. Canary and was like, I don't know what to do with this. I never I know, I think it. I'm really fine. <laughs> it's really thin as well. So it doesn't, yeah. it's like, you wouldn't wear it in the summer because you don't really wear a chile in the summer. And you, it's no use to you, like, in the winter. No, it's completely boring. Cool. <laughs> Quite a nice chile, actually, to be fair, but I just haven't worn it much. 
Quite. And you did mention earlier we can send messages. And how does that work? So, um, so actually, the so the main Marathon de Saab website, so not the UK one, the actual like French one, um, that on Saturday it all goes live. So from Saturday, there'll be the tracking link for each runner. I'm Bib553. Um, and there's a messaging service as well. So it's um, so I can receive messages, which apparently that little postman brings around to your tents each day. Um, I can't obviously reply to them. But uh, so, yeah, and that's all through the marathondesalp.com uh, website, I think. Excellent. Yeah. And also, actually, their Instagram. So they're, they're very good. Um, so they've got like a dedicated like media team that does all this, but their Instagram's really good to follow during the event, all their stories and things. And then also got their Facebook page as well. So for anyone who does want to follow, I'll probably you know, follow like, those two accounts. Yeah, and, excellent. Mm. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I'll let you go then as you've probably got final arrangements to make. Oh, the Tesco yeah. shop's put away now. And the Tesco shopping's put away. <laughs> I, I hope I've got any last minute food or anything. Back to reality, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> well, well best of luck for the event and we'll catch up when you're back yeah thanks so much for having me on and um if i come back alive i'd yeah. love to come back and tell you all about it have a great race thanks to lauren for coming on the original plan was to do one podcast and join the before and after section together but i felt after chatting to it would be really good to get this out in advance of the race so you can all track her progress and send her encouraging messages on the mds website my mate Chris, who you heard from on episode 13, recently completed the Dragon's Back multi-day race. That's running the basic lengths of Wales all the way down to Cardiff. And it's a similar setup to MDS and you just keep running. And then every night you get a little pile of messages that have been sent through to you. Naturally, being a supportive club, we took great delight in taking the piss out of them every day. And we were sending him some uh, the usual messages you can expect, asking if you've realised it was a running race and to hurry the F up. I chatted to him last night and he said it really gave the motivation to finish. So if you'd like to support Lauren, then head to the MDS website once the race starts. And I will have her back on here to see how she fared and if she managed to outrun the camel spiders. Until next time, goodbye. Game over.